Lead from the Side is made in partnership with Performance Leadership, a co-venture of Western Bulldogs and Victoria University. Hi, I'm Spencer Casimir, and this is Lead from the Side. Today's guest is Anthony Sutton, CEO of the Rugby Football League. He is, and has been, the chair of Fit Moms, COO of Hull College Group, CEO of Hull FC, and captain of my Sunday League football team. So, let's start off. First, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Yeah, thank you very much. Um, uh, delighted to be here. Yeah, I'm doing really well. Um, pretty reflective on my first uh, nine months in this role, and also superbly uh, impressed by the standard of some of the things we've seen this season and also massively excited about being at the business end of the year for lots of our competitions and of course the international series middle to end of this month. We've got IMG, RFL, Super League. How is that actually panning out since it's been implemented? Yeah, it's been a fascinating year, Spencer. Um, Rugby League Commercial came into being uh, following the realignment process at the end of last year, came into being on the 1st of January. I think a really innovative and uh, creative solution to what we want our next 5 to 15 years to be, to put all of the sports, commercial, broadcast, sponsorship and event assets into one, maximise the game's revenues in the medium to long term, aligned with a strategic partner in a, in such a global leading brand as IMG Endeavour Group. It was a massive shift in the game with the aim being that, as we say, the next five to 15 years benefits. And a very, very powerful force in that is the agreement of the financial cascade and the results from Rugby League Commercial being embedded into the rest of the game and everybody understanding what that waterfall and that pyramid is. And then for the first time in a long time, that means we're all very, very strategically aligned. That's phenomenal to hear. I was going to say, not exactly in your lane, but also now that we've discussed international, what are your thoughts on the next World Cup? Rumor has it it's going to come south again. Uh, obviously, that's not direct Super League, but it's still an area of interest that a lot of people are curious about. The development and therefore the delivery of an international calendar, I think is tremendously important in any sport. I think it brings visibility. I think it brings impact. You've only got to look at the Rugby League World Cup 2021, of course, delivered in 2022. I think it was over 33.5 million viewers on the BBC. Tremendous positive social impacts, mainly across the north of England, but not exclusively. Delivery of a fantastic legacy programme in terms of participation, in terms of social impact and in terms of facility delivery. Many of us will be enjoying all the other uh, international uh, World Cups and tournaments that you can absorb now almost constantly as a, as a sports viewer. I think the impact of three World Cups all held together last autumn was tremendous and very, very significant. But equally, from the International Rugby League's point of view, I can 100% see the delivery of those tournaments moving towards standalone in the next 10 years to be a positive move. Uh, we look forward to playing our part in that. But I think the significance and security that a 10-year international calendar can help deliver cannot be uh, overestimated. One of the big takeaways I heard from a global perspective, some of people's first exposure to rugby league was actually through the women's or the wheelchair competition. But this is not a sports show per se, it's a leadership show. So let's shift gears into that area. Tell us something people don't know about being a CEO and as a COO, maybe people would not quite understand unless they'd been in that space. Probably two areas for me, speaking from my experience and especially from my experience in the last year, the two would be how reflective I have been on trying to ensure 
that I'm really true to the things that I want to be, authentic, transparent, open, where I can be, and really, really honest. And I think my reflections on how I act and how I can deliver those things have been probably the biggest shift internally for myself. I think on a wider basis, just the importance of treating people well, especially in sport where delivery of a product and delivery of impact and all the fantastic experiences that all sports or many sports can deliver almost solely hinge on how positive, how enthusiastic, how able to deliver your colleagues are. And without colleagues being able to deliver and feel led authentically, I think that that can be an issue across a business that is so heavily reliant on people. We've had people on the show previously that have had different series of leadership. And we discuss things such as the way people perceive us in roles of leadership and how it changes over time. What's the biggest difference as you've experienced others between your role as the COO of the RFL and now CEO? I think to illustrate that, I'll use an example of a course I was in just yesterday. And whilst the course was an excellent course on the delivery of safeguarding at a board level and at a senior executive level, Obviously, as you can understand and appreciate in that discussion, it was heavily, heavily based around culture. One of the illustration slides labelled a, a number of pebbles in a funnel, and it was about how culture is delivered. And that aligns very strongly to my feelings in this, in this first year in this role at the RFL. And what I mean by that is the labels on those pebbles were things that leaders pay attention to, things that leaders don't pay attention to, things that leaders reward and don't reward, and how your actions are perceived and, and viewed by others. People, both internally and externally, will watch you a little differently when you're in the role that I'm in now and seek to understand how that message will pervade through a company's culture, how the messages that you deliver can change that culture and reinforce or, or undermine that culture. That's one of the biggest things for the last year. Does the title change how people perceive you? Did you feel it was different? I think it does. And the analogy I would use is an assistant coach and a head coach in a wider sporting context. An assistant coach will very much tell you the story that you can be a bit more maybe of a confidant. You can have a maybe a slightly different level of relationship with individuals. And none of this for me is negative. It's just a, a different view from a different place. I try and be really authentic. I try and maintain strong, positive relationships. I'm a massive fan of that and understanding individuals, both requirements and, and drivers and determinants. Again, another of my reflections of this year would be how people receive and perceive that. Uh, so it, it is different. And I think it should be different because my roles and responsibilities are different in this position than they have been before. What I always find fascinating um, is if you meet someone for the first time, and someone else introduces you with a title, how people respond to that title. I always find that really interesting, just as a, an observer of human behavior. If you're looking to level up your ability to lead and inspire others, then Performance Leadership is the course for you. Performance Leadership is a unique and exciting professional development course delivered in partnership with Western Bulldogs and Victoria University. The two-day course focuses on practical learning with a range of facilitated activities, Learning is complemented by high-performance sport insights from a range of Western Bulldogs guest speakers and senior industry leaders. To find out more, visit education.westernbulldogs.com.au. I guess the big question is, are CEOs really as dry as people believe and are CEOs really as innovative as people want to think as well? <laughs> 
<laughs> that is a great question. Of course, I would say no and yes, but I think in truth, you know, CEOs are a, a range of people just like everybody else. So I, I don't think you can label anybody uh, or any role like that. I'm sure there's as many ranges and differences in, in CEOs as there is in any, any other position. So I would say that absolutely no, they're not as dry as everybody thinks. Um, but I think, uh, and this might sound like a bit of a line, but again, I really, really believe this. I think the creativity of an individual, if it's not your strongest point, you need to find that somewhere else, probably within your most senior team or probably within another one of your teams within your organization. I used to work for a, a CEO and what he recognized um, and what I recognized very quickly was that we complemented each other very well because my strengths were his weaknesses and he recognised that very early on and therefore reinforced a working relationship um, that was positive for both of us in that stage of my career and at his. Basically, I, I filled in one of his weak spots or one of his weaknesses and one of his weaker areas. And that worked very well for both of us. And I learned a lot from that. So no, I don't think all CEOs are creative as, as people might think, but I think the ability to deliver on creativity or strategy or vision or or all of the positive things that we would think about can come from a team, not just from an individual. Within the RFL, there have been changes over the past five years, six years, but you've been able to successfully stay present. You have, an, again, a unique perspective. There are certain methodologies possibly that are more effective in times of stability as opposed to in times of difficulty. What are some of the ones that you found were effective for one and what was that middle section of the Venn diagram where you've been able to maintain an overarching set of strategies of leadership? I think in terms of strife or stretch, which in my experience in rugby league is usually, but not exclusively, come from a reducing level of resource. And some of these are pretty simple, Spencer, especially, as I say, in, in your personal relationships, honesty, uh, integrity, authenticity, doing what you, you say that you're going to do and communicating that. People can smell the BS from a significant distance away. I think that goes a long, long way. I also think that I have a bit of a phrase in my head that it's easy when it's easy. You learn a lot more when it's tough. And both you learn a lot more about yourself. You learn a lot more about your colleagues and how your colleagues act as a dynamic together uh, as a group of individuals and therefore make decisions as a team. And you learn a lot more in those tough times. You learn how you make decisions. You learn what you treat as important. Your reference to culture and my reference to culture, that's when it really counts, isn't it? Because we all, uh, the phrase would be revert to type. We might even call it regress back to our really core things. And those core things have to be strong and solid for when external environments or external pressures can be challenging. I've had a fascinating year, uh, six years at the RFL, as many people will have had in all of their businesses, if you think about, you know, changing broadcast contract, for example, both ways, but then COVID and relocation and some of the challenges that we face in the game and some of the opportunities that we do, there's some really big things that shift around in society and therefore in sport, because we're just simply a reflection really of the societies and, uh, and communities that we play in. It's a great question. And I really truly believe that the behaviours that are display when it's tough are your real core ones. And that's when it becomes really important. What's a good example of leading out of the trenches that you found most insightful, like you said, in terms of leadership? One that really sticks in my mind because it, there's quite a singular point of focus. My predecessor, Ralph Rimmer, in the early weeks of the pandemic and in those really uncertain times when we watched the UK Prime Minister on the BBC tell us all basically to go home and shut the front door. And we all had a lot of uncertainty and that uncertainty would be felt personally for your, your loved ones, your families, but clearly through employment and how 
things such as sport or theatres or anything that went on in public spaces would be delivered. I remember going home and naively thinking, wow, we've talked about 12 weeks. That feels like a long time, but that's probably the time frame. And we were still there 12 months later. But the leadership that Ralph showed, particularly in recognising the threat to this sport and all sport and the delivery of it and how we would find our way through that with a couple of uh, his most senior colleagues and the focus of particularly strategising and using our relationship with politicians, particularly within the UK, and our more statutory bodies, UK Sports, Sport England, for example, to come up with a solution that provided liquidity, not just to this sport, but was taken as a template to be used across a lot of sports. And then through the Sports Survival Fund was used for theatres and museums and, and lots of other areas. He really got us through the front door very much at the beginning of all of that uncertainty. And I I watched that very interestingly as to how that was achieved and then how we rolled the delivery of that out more widely within the RFL and across the sport. Very visible leadership in very, very uncertain times. Now, that is a very great example. Obviously, the lockdowns ended the Toronto presence in the RFL and eventually Super League. But I would love to know your opinion. Could anything have been done differently to keep not just Toronto, but maybe a North American presence coming into the RFL and Super League? Yeah, so in answer to that question directly, I'm not sure anything could have been done that differently that would have future protected, let's use Toronto as the example, delivery of our sport, of this great sport in North America, whilst participating in a, in a UK domestic competition. I think the simple truth of geography and logistics provided a point of stress that when something like the pandemic happened, it began to look difficult that that would survive in the in the medium to long term and as positive as that experience was and I think it's wonderful to see true rugby league playing populations I think that logistical stress point would always reach a point where that would be significantly stressed and I think the pandemic was that point of stress so no I don't think there are things that could have been done differently even with the benefit of 2020 hindsight that would have enabled the wolf pack to survive the significant stresses and from both sides that geography made uh, very clear during that period now that's a fair answer uh obviously you and i were talking back in those days two people can genuinely respect one another with disagreement and i will never forget that this is a great guy we just don't share a point of agreement on this but i never had the chance to properly thank you for that but Definitely want to do that right now because it's something that still sticks with me today. Oh, thank you for that. That's really nice to hear and, and really good of you to say that. I'm a big believer in it's all right for us to not agree with each other. You know, we may have a different view. We might have a different philosophy. We might have different levels of information. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, in many ways that makes the world go around. But I, I appreciate you saying that. That's very kind. I really hope in this age of what I feel is an age of conflation that more people can take that lesson away than just how to have civil discussions with people. But again, back to the leadership. What is the most noticeable difference between when you started in your first leadership role and now? How are you different? I would think the single biggest difference, and this might sound blind and nervous, but is experience, but how that experience is then used and relied upon and how that experience has been able to add to a level of maturity and how that maturity can underpin what I think is a better decision-making process. I'm probably much more reflective now than in my first roles of leadership. Um, a lot more, and some people might smile at this, but a lot more emotionally mature 
and empathetic. And I think that's very, very important. I certainly wasn't that when I was 25, for example. But I think that maturity and experience applied to my own internal learnings and probably a better sense of direction. That's very insightful. And certainly something that nobody can truly rush to try to learn how to be more empathetic. I'm certain that a lot of people listening to this as well are interested in how your view on innovation has changed from being a fresh face to a seasoned face as well. Two areas of of thought about that. One being, it's very much a watch out of mind that you don't fall in the trap of, I've seen something like this before and therefore I'm not sure about it because I think that's a massive stifler to innovation and therefore a, a real guard for a CEO to not think, oh, well, you know, 10 years ago in a different business or a different organization, I remember something like this. It, it might not have been positive and therefore you have to guard against that being an anchor on innovation or, or a drag or a weight. I think the other side of that is I still get really excited when I hear something that I think is a great idea or something creative or something innovative. It might either be a, a sentence from someone or a developed thought or something in them that triggers something in me. But that for me is still a real buzz. And what I've learned to do is harness that, develop it, think about it. And again, probably being more reflective and more mature than I almost by definition was previously, being able to think that round from a number of different angles and use the experience that you've got from a number of different spheres or or areas or ecosystems to be able to rub some corners off an idea that might be pretty raw in the first instance. And whilst to others that might feel like I'm taking time to do so, what I'm doing is running through an internal process and trying to use that experience to a, for a good outcome. You know, rugby league as a sport is something that where we have the opportunity and we're not scared to be innovative and strategic partner with IMG Endeavour Group or licensing back in the day or the mid late. Um, and I think we have the opportunity to do so. For me, the learning I've taken from how I would have viewed innovation 20 years ago is probably a bit more input and a bit more work into the engine of getting that to an idea that is workable rather than, wow, this is a great idea. Let's go do it this afternoon. Having bridled enthusiasm, there does need to be an enthusiasm for something that can really make meaningful change, but there needs to be due diligence at the same time. Speaking of things that we should also and should not also do, what's a piece of advice that you wish you knew sooner in your career? And if you had known it, how would things be different? So the one that springs to mind immediately is with the maturity and age, frankly, that you know, touched on previously, very much the awareness that it's not all about you or not all about me and the power of the group or the power of the collective and that decision-making capability, capacity, knowledge and level of expertise is way, way, way more powerful. Um, I, 20, 25 years ago, would have been much more focused on what I was doing and much more in the channel of the belief that that could be more powerful, but the group, the experience with colleagues, the dynamic nature of a team and all of the significant reading or experiences that you can get now from the, you know, the power of the team and, and all of those studies and all of that data and all of that learning that, that you can garner and use would probably be the single biggest answer to that question. I'm very happy you said that. The emphasis of team in terms of maintaining not just growth, but maintaining the stability to enable growth. Unfortunately, sometimes it does take a major event for people to experience it. I would agree with that. I think it's fascinating to see the positive and some negative reactions to the pandemic are all spending less time socially together or the influence that might have have had on, say, crowds at a sporting event. I'm a 
passionate believer in the power of sport in terms of there's not that many opportunities where such large groups of people spend time together at a common purpose or a common goal or watching a common thing. And I think that dynamic atmosphere, experience, understanding of a crowd at a sporting event, any sporting event, uh, that people are all there to watch together is, is immensely powerful. Well said. You can follow Tony and the organizations he is associated with at the RFL on multiple media outlets. And again, thank you for coming on the show. And it's been a pleasure having this chat today. Uh, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. I appreciate the opportunity and, uh, and it's been great. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening today. And thanks to our sponsors. More information about the show and our guests can be found in the show notes. You can follow the show on Twitter or LinkedIn at Lead From The Side or myself on Twitter or LinkedIn at BallsOutPhD. If you want to contribute to the show, send us an email at leadfromtheside at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. See you next time. And remember to lead from the side. As a special thank you, I would like to give a shout out to Jay Hudson & Co., the manufacturers of Acme Specialist Whistles. Jay Hudson & Co. have a special relationship to the industry given that they've been around since 1870. That's over 153 years. Rugby League uses them, Rugby Union uses them, netball, basketball, you name it. They're family owned and they're still customizing their whistles to the sports and industries that they're related to. Visit them in Birmingham, England. They have everything you could possibly imagine and all the things you never even wondered about whistles. So given that it is the last episode of the season and we just finished up with Tony Sutton from the RFL, I'd also like to give a special thanks to them and their service towards not just rugby league, but the sport industry as a whole.